This is an ABC podcast. Take a breath in and hold it. Testing, 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 testing. Just testing this to see what the levels are like. Here we go. This is still Jill staring down ovarian cancer. Jill Emerson's story told with Liz Keane. Chapter 3, Relapse. I wanted the confirmation it was back and he said, yes, Jill, it's back. And I then pushed him to say, well, what does that mean? How long does that mean I've got to live? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when he said to me, I'd be lucky I'd be alive in five years. Yeah. Do you remember that? That's definitely, yeah, yeah. I think I could almost hear his voice through the phone. It's late 2016, heading up to the summer holidays. This is about nine months after I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Okay, so who are you with? Who are you talking with there? I'm talking to my auntie Margaret. She's my mum's sister. She lives around the corner. I grew up with her in my grandparents' house. So what, what are you remembering there? What are you talking about? I was waiting to get a call from the gynae oncologist um, to tell me whether the results that he'd seen uh, indicated that my cancer might be back. And at this moment in time, you've had your surgery, you've gone through your chemo, the hope is it's never coming back. It comes back, what does that mean for you? If it came back, then I'd tipped out of the world of surviving to the world of being taken by this disease because I know and everybody in this world knows that when ovarian cancer relapses, comes back, recurs, that it's incurable. Okay, so I'm just testing the level. See the little green buttons going up and down? Oh, that's about right. Well, sitting on your lounge now, I remember this is actually where I was sitting when I took the call. Yeah. I got goosebumps now just thinking about it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was so awful. And then I got the call. The doctor rang. You know what I remember next i remember actually falling on the floor i was so you did and yeah what do i do now it was my thought and then ken came home and well what does ken do ken gets on the floor with you and he rolls and did whatever was needed He was right there with you, yeah. After that, I'm I'm remembering now the next wave, which was ring everybody and tell everybody, Mm -hmm. bringing everybody into this new world. Yeah, yeah. What does it feel like? Like as my auntie, Mm -hmm. 
that I might die before you. Oh. Mm. That is hard. But I just look at how you deal with things and you, your physical strength is hard to, for anyone to believe. We shake our heads and think, this, it's not right. The results are incorrect because you're so strong and keep going. And that bucket list is a jolly big list and they're getting ticked off one by one. Including the wedding. <laughs> mm, the wedding. <laughs> no one ever thought I'd do that. Yeah, and everyone coming together and celebrating your new life with Ken. One of the moments in that that really hits me so strongly is when Ken gets on the ground with you. I mean, what is that for you? When Ken came home to my auntie Margaret and got right down into my space around my body in a life and death situation, it was like the sustaining me, the keeping me alive, the holding me while I'm on the brink of maybe fucking dying. And it's is a very different texture of love than the love that I've had throughout my adult life. And that's mostly because I've been a single parent doing all of that deep life stuff on my own. Um, leaning at reaching out to my mum, my aunt, my sisters if I need it and also my daughter. But I can't do this hard yards with my daughter. I think terror was how I felt. All right, well, I managed to get down on the floor. I thought that might be at our place. I thought that might be a good place, honey, to sit and see if we could remember that awful day. And I got the phone call that um, the cancer was back. What can you remember of that? I can remember walking into Meg's and us making eye contact and us bursting into tears and um, and just holding one another and then y- you fell to the ground and I went with you. It was it was a shocking thing, Jill. Oh, it's even awful to even think about it now. Was there anything positive in it that you can remember, honey? I mean, you were there, I was holding you, I could feel you, I could feel you, the, the, the shudders of, of, um, of grief just going through you and... I could feel that shuddering through me. So only insofar as we were doing it together and we were in that sort of grip of grief together. But there was nothing good about that except that closeness, except being with you in all of that terrible, terrible feeling.
Do you remember the next day? What did you do the next day, the next week? It was the summer holidays, it was Christmas, it was January, it was beach, it was family, it was us, me and Ken in our beautiful home, hanging on to each other. We didn't make too many plans, we just sort of hung out and swam to try and swim some of the pain off. I remember the phone calls I had to make with my family, they're really hard to remember making. My beautiful cousin who was out in central Australia kind of desperately wanting to get back to the coast. My mother, I could hardly bear having that conversation with her. Um, so I had to bring them in, but at the same time I had to stay just a bit with me and Ken because managing everybody else's pain was really hard. And then... Then, as I got a bit of distance from it, I started to, from the shock of it, I started to read. I started to read online, I started to look for books, I started to find other women who were in this situation and started to probe my oncologist, my counsellor, a bit more deeply into what the hell is this for me? And what the hell is this for all the other women in terms of cancers for women? And the more I learnt, the madder I got about it. So we've heard the support you've got from Ken, but outside of that, um, people with expertise people who really understand your clinical team. We're going to we're about to hear from one of these people who supports you. Can you can you let us know who that is? From the time that I was diagnosed, I've come across a range of medical experts. The gynae oncologist who operates, the medical oncologist who gives you the treatments. And in the middle of them is a specialist called a gynae oncology counselor. These are people with professional expertise in counselling and an extra specialisation in the subcategory of gynaecological cancers. I was really lucky that in Newcastle, that woman goes by the name of Kath Adams and she's helped me profoundly. My aim is to arrive at the time when women need support the most. Around 60% of women are not going to be alive in five years' time. And a lot of those women won't get those five years, you know. It is something that we often diagnose really late. And the reason that we do that is because there's not one single symptom that makes me go, oh, that's really weird. You can't feel your ovaries and go, oh, there's a lump there, like you can feel your breasts. It's still pretty common for women like me to feel pissed off that we didn't get, for example, breast cancer because we wouldn't be having this conversation. It is really hard to have ovarian cancer in that sense because there's a hell of a lot of pink out there and you get sick of seeing it. It's just learning to change the way we perceive our bodies. 
perceptions change slowly. So we kind of need to fast track that perception change if that's going to lead to ka-ching dollars in the research bank. Yep. We really need some famous women with gynecancers to speak up, you know, and part of the problem is we're embarrassed by having a gynecancer and so women don't speak up. They've been famous women who've had this disease. They can't stand up anymore. And one of the problems with ovarian cancer is you don't get a long time to stand up. So, Jill, on that on that note, um, that brings us to the end of, of Chapter 3. Can you give us a little taste, a little feeling of what Chapter 4 might bring us next week? By Chapter 4, I've decided that I need to make the most of my time, even though it's going to be limited, to go out and plan some great things, but also try and get on a drug trial and try and use my skills to get higher awareness out into the community about ovarian cancer. I'd heard nothing about ovarian cancer before I'd got it and I now feel compelled to change that and we start that journey in chapter four. Okay we're going in through the security. Morning. Um, Good morning. Hi, we're going to a function here. Yes, what, what for? The Ovarian Cancer Australia. Yes, Why can't we get a really big lift in survival? Why do we have to hover around 44%? It's such a bleak outcome. Still Jill is reported by Jill Emerson. The editor is Liz Keane. Sound engineering by David LeMay. Commissioning editor is Patrick Emmett. Distribution by Tim Gerritsen and executive producer is Liz Keane. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.